Hello to our listeners and welcome to TNT ESQ. Along with my co-host, Reese Thomas, I'm Teresa Quinlan. We make up TNT. For those of you that don't know, it's our name, Thomas and Teresa. We're here to explode the status quo, because this series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently, so we can start doing differently. Uh, our guest today is Samantha Sophia. Samantha is a sustainability strategist, chartered engineer in the field of urban design, architecture, and engineering, specializing in environmental modeling and building physics. She informs and facilitates the architectural and engineering design process to ensure environmental, carbon, and social sustainability aims are met and exceeded. Her interests are in net positive, biophilic and informed urban design, co-creating urban spaces with community health in mind, implementing holistically sustainable measures for common good. Samantha lives by the motto, moving from less bad to net good. Welcome to TNT ESQ, Samantha. Hello, thank you for having me. I just realized there's a lot of jargon in my intro text. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff I could redo our little let's find out a little bit more about what she does we know you from humans first call so we get to hear like your thoughts on some fairly interesting topics and then to look at this background of yours is like what does that mean because you're right there's a lot of words that i don't think people often hear together there are lots of places that this can go from but we're going to stick with your your core topic your obsession your passion of sustainability so often when people have such a passion as you do you know, there's a story behind it. There's a, an idea or a purpose. So maybe you could start by just giving us a bit of a background of how you came to be all of these amazing words we just uh, used about you. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll get into some of the more specifics about what exactly biophilic and things like that mean. In terms of the purpose or how I got to sustainability was essentially um, a kind of roundabout way. So I was a weird kid and I still am. I decided very early on that I would do a thing and then I would go and do it no matter how long it would take me to do that thing. I decided to go into sustainability when I was 16 after I decided that I didn't want to work at NASA because I feel like I have a certain responsibility being a living being on this planet to try and stop humans from destroying it. I followed that decision, you can say stubbornly or persistently, and also blowing through any walls, any barriers, any firewalls. I didn't care, I was just going for it. So I went earliest opportunity I could out of my country, which was university. So I went to study in Scotland and then that really opened my eyes up to the entire world of sustainability, what's really possible, where I can apply myself. So it became clearer and clearer as I went through the years. And immediately after university, I was convinced I needed to work in sustainable urban design. So not just, you know, anything about like designing wind turbines or stuff like that. But I wanted to go into sustainable building design and urban design because that I felt had a direct connection to the way that people live and how people think about their place in the world. When I went into that, I became a specialist. That's where the building physics aspects come about. So I became someone who was very good at modeling buildings and designing them very, very kind of detailed levels, working closely with architects and engineers. So for example, the fact that this room makes you feel comfortable 
when it's at the right temperature and the right humidity, all of that has been designed by a team of engineers, interior designers, and architects. But that's the kind of work that I did. And so when I became a specialist in that, that opened a lot of doors for me to go into a lot of conversations. And it just made me really frustrated on the one hand and really motivated on the other because I realized that I'm largely motivated by anger and frustration. I love that. We need something at the source of the characteristic of being stubborn anyways. We need something at the source. Those are some pretty good ones to have at the source. You said something in there. I would decide I was going to do a thing and then I would go and do it. So in the world of sustainability, how is that characteristic of yours so valuable? We get rejected a lot. A lot of our ideas just get a plain no. We get doors shut in our faces and and yet, you know, we have to be there day after day, you know, keeping spirits up and hoping that things will still turn out fine and the human species will survive. <laughs> Every sustainability professional has to have that sort of stubbornness, that persistence somehow. And for a lot of us who don't, like we really need that emotional support. But at the same time, we're also experiencing eco-anxiety. We're grieving for the planet. And we're going through, you know, what all of these young climate strikers are going through, which is that what kind of world will we be left with in the next couple decades? And then to get nose, you know, in the face, it's, I tried my best and I wasn't good enough. Well, for some people it's, I'm not good enough. For some people it's, okay, this project is balls. Usually the reaction is, I'm not good enough. And, you know, after a certain progression with constantly being told you're not good enough, that takes a toll. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the persistence is really important in constantly having to find that new balance for yourself. And in some ways, it's also about learning where your thresholds are of being like, okay, this is how much emotional energy I'm going to put into this particular thing. And once I hit that, I'm not going to invest emotionally anymore. And I'm just doing my job by saying like, okay, I wasn't able to do this. I tried my best exit convo. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank goodness that one of your, one of your strengths is your stubbornness and the fact that you get motivated by frustration. Um, so you were, you, when you were describing what you, what you were, your evolution of your journey, you, you described everything. And then you, you use one, you said, this is what I did implying that maybe, that's not now what you want to do or you've, you've evolved since you did all those things and maybe we didn't get to the end of your story. Is there something that now you changed? Because correct me if I'm wrong, you've been exploring in Philippines, Singapore, places over there for the last six months or yeah. something like that. What's driven you to do that exploration? What is um, inspiring you to shift from that, what you did to what you're going to do? Well, I think I have to preface this with the explanation that everything I've done in my life is to get to the next place. Mm -hmm. um, so this has obviously had an impact to my personal life, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. But I, I lived in Sweden for the last two years, 2017 to 2019. And I was going through a process of healing during that time and also trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do and in some sense, who it was I wanted to be. So Sweden is a 
to do that because they have like social problems. They don't know how to make friends and all this stuff. So you get a lot of time alone, which is exactly what I needed. And I also had really easy access to nature, which I never quite had before. As you can imagine growing up in Singapore. Um, so Sweden gave me the time I needed actually to go and figure that stuff out. So to be really introspective and to start being more open about kind of like what it was I wanted to do and becoming more broad in my career with what interests that I had. And because the company I was working with was a massive company. So they had, you know, amazing people that I could talk to. So I was just networking within the company networking outside of the company. People were inviting me to do events and I was saying yes. I literally never said no at all. And then one event took me to South Africa, which was amazing. I never thought I would actually manage to go to Africa. But when I went there, I was there for about 10 days. I made so many crazy friends. I mean, so many that it's crazy. And also the friends are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best kinds of friends. <laughs> Those are the best kinds of friends. Um, and I just sit there being, I remember being in the middle of a conversation and being like, why am I not having this conversation in Asia? Why am I spending my life in Europe and Africa having these amazing, fantastic conversations when I could be having them in Asia? So that kind of woke me up to being like, maybe that's, maybe that's it. And the more I thought about it, the more fearful I became, the more angry I became, the more frustrated I became. And that's really how I knew that I had to do it. So I spent two months saying goodbye to everyone I ever knew over 12 years. These people who helped me through literally everything, like all the crap. And they also experienced all my happiness moments, all my joys. Um, so saying goodbye was kind of like saying goodbye to my family forever. Um, mm -hmm. Which was funny because I never experienced that leaving Singapore. I just left. Mm -hmm. Hmm. There's, um, but I think there's, for me, I believe there's something really quite interesting about the connection between our own personal journey and healing. And as we take that journey, oftentimes then our desire to assist in healing externally increases as well, because we get to see the ben the benefits. It's not necessarily the grueling nature that we're like, oh, everyone else needs to experience the gruel. No, you want people to also experience the the joy, the outcome, the light, the release. That's what you want to have. So it's really quite interesting that the work that you've been doing has has been about healing, helping to heal externally. And then your journey has brought you to healing internally. And I don't think it's a chicken or egg situation where you must do one before the other. But oftentimes there'll be some sort of correlations, this element around eco-anxiety, that word that you use for me, that's a word I'm going to include in my vernacular because you came to this space of grieving for the planet. And we hear so often about things related to, um, you know, recycle, reuse, reduce, do these kinds of things within your community to help. Um, and yet I don't experience any grief for the planet unless potentially I watch a really good documentary 
and, and it's in front of my face. And, you know, I usually get wide eyed and, or oh, I had no idea that's what it was. And then I could feel it, especially if they have good music playing in the background. Yeah, It'll yeah. solicit the feelings for me, right? It's just so far outside of my own personal realm. I don't live in a space where I see this every single day that I don't have this emotional connection to our planet. Is it necessary, do you think, for people, they need to have it in front of their faces to be more cognizant of the healing that is necessary to be done? So I think that's a really good question. And I've been thinking about that a lot. So it just so happens that because of the experiences that I've had, whenever I see a gray area, I now lean into the very dark. So my answer to that, do people really need a connection to nature in order to feel like they need to be compelled to do something? I would say no. They just need to believe that they have a connection to nature. And that can be done through whatever David Attenborough is doing, which is amazing, right? Like when, when the Netflix documentary came out, for example, everyone was only talking about that. They've never been to any of these places and it doesn't really matter because they feel that they believe there is like a thing inside of them that now makes them care, even though they might have not even been in nature in the last six months. So that's a, I don't know how to answer that question, but I do, you know, it kind of goes back to the matrix, right? It's like, it's all in your, it's all in your mind. And right we know how human nature works um so we can use you know the tricks that let's say marketing and advertising uses on you to propel you to move in a certain way that's actually better for the world or better for society or better in general mm -hmm. if we if we did that like if we used all the behavioral analysis that we know to actually propel society to do a better thing isn't that what those skills should be used for as opposed to you know drawing a profit out of out of your tiny wallet depends who you ask <clears throat> yes it does <laughs> so in terms of <clears throat> you wrote down something earlier when we were having a brief chat we talked about urban human change that was something that interests me is that something you can enlighten our listeners to a little bit more because I'm not I'm, I'm fairly confident most people wouldn't necessarily be able to give you a, a definition of what that means so I think let's start there and then we'll you know share your knowledge and help enlighten mm -hmm. well so Teresa said something which was that um, um, if you haven't been connected to nature then that's not a thing that you're missing because you've filled that void up with totally different things so it's like when you see something that, you know, in the shop that you've never had before and you have zero need for, but for some reason now you're like, I really need to have it. It's only when it's in front of you, right? Then, then you kind of like experience that. So you won't know what's actually missing in your city until something gets added to it or you, you go to a different part of your city, for example, and you meet people who are not in your demographic and you realize there's a whole other part of my city that I never knew. Like, that's something suddenly that you're like, I've been missing this, but you never knew that. Because mm -hmm. your view has always just been like, you know, for most people, I guess, it's just 
you know, I'm on my commute and these are the people that I see on my commute. And so this kind of relates to my definition of my city or my definition of my neighborhood. And we tend to forget that there's people outside of our demographic who also have the same right to define the city or the neighborhood in that way. And when we don't connect with that, we're actually the ones missing out because we lose that richness in our existence that enables us to actually think a little bit bigger, open our mind a little bit more, and to be able to see how the world looks from another perspective. So that for me is really the start of urban change because we've been so segregated in, in sort of a hidden subversive way that we don't really think about in our cities across the world. So in essence, what you're talking about is expanding our levels of empathy to include our environmental em empathy, it's not just. I have empathy for this person's experience. We're trying to look broader. It's the same skill set, just directing it in another direction. Yes, exactly. And when we start to think that way, then we're starting to actually fix inequality in our cities just by being aware that it exists. And that might be a, a welcome sort of byproduct of the experience that we're having at the moment that, like we said at the start, you were, you didn't necessarily go out all the time, but because now you can't actually do that, you're now so, so much more aware of the benefits of going out. And so the fact that you can't go out and meet these people, you can't have these exchanges, you're, you're no longer, it's no longer a self-segregation, it's an imposed segregation. So immediately you're much more, um, <clears throat> antagonistic towards this um, this reality that has been imposed on you rather than the one that is actually you created for yourself which is just as limiting you just weren't aware of it because you were only going down this corridor from my house to my train to my office to the maybe to the park <laughs> maybe to the food place back to the office back to the train back home that was yeah. it and only when we you know people talk about this opportunity to pause the opportunity to go within to develop your own inner workings that is then amplified into thinking about how you can develop the outer workings so people are getting more creative about how they can bring about positive change not just to themselves not just to the community but to you know the whole sustainability of, of the city of the, the country of the world so for me that's one of the huge benefits of what we're experiencing right now and obviously there are negative aspects of what we're experiencing but i'm trying not to focus on those try to promote the positive aspects of it try to negate the fear vibration that's being um pumped into the world and i don't feel it as much anymore i mean partly because i've turned that off in myself but also because i think people have realizing that you know this kind of fear and control structure that's been imposed on us as a framework is not necessarily there to support us it's more there to limit us so having the perspective of being able to look out from your from your from your window literally and yeah. see things that you never really were aware of consciously albeit subconsciously you were already taking in all this information and processing it you're now having that more opportunity to connect with that and because of that good things will happen and opportunities for change 
transformation in all aspects of what our you know collective unified consciousness life is going to be moving forward so when people are talking about i can't wait to get back to the old way the old work mm -hmm. i'm just like really hope that a that doesn't exist anymore b you've changed your idea about what you want to get back to and and we can all co-create something that's more beneficial to everybody and you know right at the top of that list would be climate change which we're seeing some incredible figures photos you know the pictures of mumbai with the bright sunshine and everyone going this hasn't happened for years and obviously it's ironic that people can't go out and enjoy it but at the still same time <laughs> still at the same time um it's having a, a huge uh, positive effect on the environment but also on on individuals in their you know in their hearts and their minds so sorry that was a bit of a rant but uh, i hope it all uh, ties into what we're talking about and how to promote this go from this disconnection to connection to sustainability to no anxiety to um Hmm. And it does exactly. So going back to what Teresa said about having empathy for your environment. So instead of thinking about it in terms of humans now have to curb their activity and you know have less fun, as a whole, the Earth is actually having a great time right now. And there are so many more animals on the planet that are actually thriving now. I think this is a net win when we think about all these other lives that are now doing so much better and we just had to like curb our our lives a little bit you know it's not threatening us we're not thriving as you know the way that we believed thriving needs to mean but that's also making us sort of redefine what having fun means and what our impact really is. That's what this whole exercise is here for, to show us that. I just called the pandemic an exercise. Mm. I love that because exercises have an outcome of learning. We do them in order to learn something. And I think that's just a really beautiful way of putting it and offering a perspective for people, an expansion of perspective. Sustainability to me sounds like that is a necessary human characteristic is expansion and perspective. So if I want to have global empathy, I in all likelihood will need to be globally educated and have a global perspective. I have to look outside of my backyard. Sure, I put a garden in mine to feed my family, but if I put two extra plots in my garden, I could feed some people in my neighborhood. <laughs> And so on and so forth, right? So I'm interested in your thoughts, recommendations, how, how to help people see beyond their backyard, see into expansion, so that the word sustainability can actually be something that, you know, to be sustainable with changes to our environment, uh, we have to have global perspective. I have to see how what I'm doing here is impacting more than just here. How do we help well, that? What's amazing is that right now we have all the knowledge of the world at our fingertips. Hmm. It's not limited to what you search for because YouTube actually gives you recommendations. <laughs> I so, get a lot of Kevin Hart recommendations. 
He's, he's amazing. Like he, he should really continue. Funny. Yeah. Yes. Continue. Um, but that, like it just it's about going back to the point about human nature where we condition ourselves to think and learn about something that we've decided is interesting. Right? So all it takes is one of those rabbit holes not being Kevin Hart, stand-up comedy, which is hilarious, but being about, okay, so like dolphins are coming back to Venice. Like, did Venice have dolphins before that? Like, how did, how did that work? Like, did Venice actually impact dolphins not being able to go to Venice? <laughs> and then, you know, going down that rabbit hole in itself, it's already, you're going to be learning about, like, how the ocean ecology sort of works and where dolphins go and like how they migrate across huge huge distances just to go to places to visit them and you'll start to learn about like how dolphins actually have conferences like once every few years there's something called a super pod that comes together which is over 10,000 individuals coming together just to come together like these are like our human conferences mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, what do they talk about? And we're trying to figure that out, right? So scientists right now are like (laughs) having that process. So it's about going down, I would say, a rabbit hole to find something that really interests you. And that can be anything. So some people are really obsessed with dolphins and orcas. My friend in England is super obsessed with orcas especially. She's also really obsessed with sloths. I don't know why. (laughs) But... (laughs) The sloths, um, one of the predators of the sloth is an eagle called the harpy eagle. This is the largest eagle on earth and it looks amazing. I would highly recommend to go and look up a harpy eagle. Um, And when you look at where they live and how their habitat is being threatened, then you can start to link up, you know, where your interest is and how human activity is then affecting these amazing creatures. And I'm seeing creatures because I feel like that's where I first got my interest. I was watching nature documentaries and I loved how animals were so different from us. I just loved that they were so weird. My favorite animal is the platypus. Like it's the weirdest thing. I just love it. It's crazy. <laughs> it is very weird. I think that's a beautiful recommendation around like, what can we start doing? Start exploring the things that are interesting as related to nature and the planet and and expand your own personal knowing because that will continue the spiral of that interest. Yes, I really think inherent to us is this wonder for everything that nature is and has. And this is something that when you explore, especially with your kids, Mm-hmm. It just opens up the world for them. And when you see that, then you, you start to remember that, you know, life is about more than just what you think life is, right? Life is all life on the planet. And we can't be so kind of egocentric to determine that the planet is for human beings only. That's just not the way nature intended it. In fact, mm-hmm. we know that our greatest predator is a barely evolved tiny organism that we call a virus Mm -hmm. that's how that's how much we're interwoven into this entire system right yep 100 yeah this is so nice we were saying earlier Teresa was saying that she's seeing so many more people out and about in the community going for walks um i've been doing the same thing and you mentioned memories as well and that's something else that uh triggered me because i was thinking well 
you know, there are the sounds, there are smells, there are, there are scents in the air, the flavors, whatever it is that maybe I remembered as a child, <clears throat> however many years ago, um, that perhaps my daughter wouldn't necessarily have experienced if it weren't for this forced pause. And this forced pause gives us all a time for self-reflection. But as I said earlier, to, to look outside and, and to tie it back to the climate change to make it so blaringly obvious that you know, this is impacting um, <clears throat> everyone's perception of that. Like you said, it's taken 50 years for people to really um, cotton on to something that has just exploded in a matter of weeks. And I'm very hopeful that you know there's an, there will no longer be any excuse. There won't be any way of hiding the truth or fudging the numbers or mm. dismissing the statistics. Because you know, who knows how long this is going to go on for? But the longer it does, the more obvious it is. The more evident it will be, and the bigger the impact and the change will be. You know, obviously it's great that we can fly to wherever we want, whenever we would like to, but also it's created such a huge change. Um, in the global sort of pollution um, smog around cities. I know Italy was one of the ones I was looking at, and obviously Milan is a particularly bad, uh, bad affected place. And it's also, ironically, one of the worst places that's been affected by the virus. Is there a connection there? I don't know. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, <clears throat> but I think, like, you know, nature is healing itself in a way, in a way that perhaps only it. It, it knows how um and forcing everyone to to, to wake up but you know, I, I see we're, we're running out of time here i guess we could talk about this for a long time so Teresa, what you want to finish with your hashtag not anymore hashtag not anymore so we know i love this great like start doing recommendation of the exploration of what's interesting i totally wrote down dolphin superpods i'm going to check that out and i'm checking out this harpy <laughs> yeah. harpy eagle i'm going to check out both of those things i'm going to do it with my yes. son yeah and then I think, you know, with hashtag not anymore, perhaps we can explore, you know, in your, in your learnings, in your education around this area, what might be one thing you would recommend for people to stop doing straight away that can potentially provide for them and their community a really big impact? I would say that is stop assuming that people with authority know what they're doing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh my God, that, that has so many applications <laughs> and implications across yeah. anything, right? Across uh, like government for sure, yes across um, marketing and businesses and companies, across leaders and organizations, across parents and families. I just think that that's a brilliant stop assuming. Yes. And that begs, that begs the question like, okay, if they don't know, then how can, how can I figure out if they sound like they know what they're talking about? Mm -hmm. So then that, that goes back to the process of how can I educate myself? How can I think in the right way? All right. People are going to want to be in touch with you and follow you and find out the awesome things that you're doing, Sam. So we know that they can, you know, find you on LinkedIn and you are also one of the hosts and co-hosts for the Humans First Call Asia. 
-hmm. how else if people wanted to get in touch with you or see you follow you any other ways that people can be in touch with you uh, well, I'm mostly on LinkedIn right now. I hope uh, the website will be up soon. I'm starting up a sustainability consultancy. So that will be on my LinkedIn when it's up. Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing like your stubborn passion. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. Mm -hmm. We're going to... Um, speed our way through what is known as the rapid fire Q&A. We like to wrap up our show with a little bit of fun. And these are 10 statements. They're, you know, they're written for you to interpret as suits you best. So when you hear them, you just pick whatever comes to your heart or your head. Are you ready? No. <laughs> Let's take a deep Let's take a deep breath in, deep breath in, deep breath out. Okay, first one is up. Manager or leader? Leader. Active or reactive? It depends. I can't say. Mm. Black and white or gray? Gray, but moving towards black. Optimist or realist? Pessimist. Mm. Love that. Thank you. <laughs> Canada or England? Canada or England? That's, I would never pick that. Firstly, Canada all the way because you know what England did. <laughs> Number six, heart or head? Again, I can't answer that. Oh, is it a both for you? No, I'm an engineer. Right. Okay. Damages my reputation. Okay. <laughs> Seven, empath <laughs> empathy or assertiveness? Empathy, 100%. Introvert or extrovert? Way, way, way introvert. Logical or emotional? We'd like to believe we're logical, but we're really just emotional. So I'm going with the fake one, logic. Okay. <laughs> Innovation or process? Innovation. You made it. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you so much. We love to hear all of your feedback here on TNT ESQ. So if you've enjoyed this show, you've learned something, you've been inspired, please share it with your friends. Please rate the show. Please write a review on whichever podcast uh, platform you enjoyed it on to help us spread the word, help more people think differently, and more people start doing differently. Thank you.